Hey guys, so I'm so excited to have our next guest. He is as handsome as he is funny. He is the author of Humor That Works. He's a fellow INTJ like me, so this is going to be like the most information-packed, intense, uh, and efficient interview you've ever seen. Um, I just hope that my next book will be maybe a quarter as cool as yours, and I'll be happy. So welcome, Andrew. How are you? I'm doing great. I, that, what a fantastic uh, introduction. I enjoyed that, especially from a fellow INTJ. Yeah, I know. We're like unicorns, right? Like, we are. We are. And we're also, it's such an INTJ thing to to do is to know our Myers-Briggs and, and feel connected to the other ones out there. I feel like we're, we're some of the ones that are like, no, this is us. It's exciting. Yeah, it's probably a bunch of bullshit that people have yeah. for money, but <laughs> hey, um, but I accurate for you because after mm -hmm. I read the book, I was like, this is a genius. So must be INTJ. Um, but okay. So it's it's probably one of the best books I've read on humor. Um, so okay, let's dive in. So what is the funniest joke that you know? Uh, well, let's see. The funniest joke. Can I say the funniest joke that I've written? Is it is it narcissistic to do I, I something a, that I've that done? Hey, I'm an Asian woman. Narcissism is our life. So I love it. Yeah. Okay, and this is uh, I know it's one of the funniest jokes I've ever written because it's also the most stolen joke that I've ever um, had. So you may have heard this joke before, um, but um, I was talking with my manager, and he was like, how good are you at PowerPoint? I was like, I excel at it. Uh, uh, and I was like, was that a uh, Microsoft Was that a Microsoft Office pun? I was like, word. Oh, my God. That is good. Thank you. Wow. Yeah, it's been stolen a number of times, including by George Takai. He once retweeted someone else's uh, stealing of that joke. But that joke, some people were like, no, I've seen that online. It dates back. I, I have the proof of it. it's wow. in my first TEDx talk and my first stand-up, uh, one of my stand-up clip that I have from years and years ago. Um, so that is, I think, probably the my one of my favorite jokes. That is wow, that's incredible. I love it. Just hit starting off a gate with like <laughs> a standard that I don't think any comedian will be able to hit. I love it. <laughs> So, okay, so you wrote a book, it's called Humor That Works. Can you tell us what it's about? Sure, so uh, the book is kind of the what, why, and how of using humor in the workplace based on what I've learned from you know, the last 10 years of helping organizations do exactly that. So it's, it's not a book on how to be funny, but it's a book on how to be more effective in the workplace using the skill of humor. That's crazy because you don't look like you work 10 years in anything. You look like you're like just out of college, which is a good thing. If you guys can see his picture, I'm going to do a good picture. Um, I'm sure you take all good pictures, but it's that's shocking because you look like you're, you have good genes, like straight out of school. Yeah, I think it works. I mean, I've always looked younger than I was, which was, all, like, which was tougher in, you know, high school and middle school, but I'm certainly happy for it now. Yeah, because um, you have a very interesting background. Like, can you tell us more about, like, your corporate life? Sure. So uh, my background is what people are kind of surprised. So I, you know, with speaking about humor and doing, you know, stand up for the last 15 years, uh, people are surprised to find that I have a background in computer science and engineering. Uh, and I spent uh, six years working at Procter and Gamble as an IT project manager. And so I, my start in the, the corporate world was as a project manager on very kind of dry type subjects and that's where I discovered the value of humor. I realized by using humor in my meetings or by including it in my emails, people actually showed up to my meetings and actually responded to my emails. And so, uh, you know, had this discovery that as an engineer, humor was 
a solution to the problem that I had of boredom in my own work or people not paying attention to what I was doing. So it was a great kind of how-to in the workplace. And that's what kind of got me into this idea of exploring this intersection of humor and engineering. That's really interesting because you have a lot of guts. You literally just branded your sort of like corporate humorous in your email. So how did you like, like, how did you do that? Did, were you just like one day is like, oh my God, I hate this meeting. Everything sucks. I'm just going to go all out. Or were you like much naturally funny because of your sarcasm and dryness? Like- yeah, it definitely wasn't naturally funny. I had in college, I had started doing improv and stand up. So uh, I went to Ohio State. My best friend there wanted to start an improv comedy group, meet at people and basically forced me to join. And uh, so we started doing improv by watching whose line is it anyway, and tried to repeat what we saw. And then from that, that led to a little bit of stand up. And it was yeah, at PNG, it was more of okay, I'm bored in my own meetings. Can I you know, add a little bit of humor. Can I bring in what I learned from improv and what I learned from stand up into what I was doing? And, you know, the self-proclaimed corporate humorist came a little bit more as an evolution. I was uh, working at PNG. I'd been there for about a year and had been blogging internally and decided I wanted a new focus and decided that humor was going to be it. So I proclaimed myself the corporate humorist. I got, you know, business cards made at PNG. I, you know, started this internal website, humor.pg.com, uh, and all these other things, just as an excuse, really, to continue to explore uh, this this intersection that I had discovered had been helpful for me. So it was definitely an, an evolution. And the crazy thing is, is, you know, I assumed that someone would stop me, right? I assumed that, like, you know, someone from HR or legal would come up and be like, hey, you can't just create your own job title. Um, but instead people just started referring to me as the corporate humorist. Uh, and it was really, really cool to see. So like, um, okay, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you know a particularly funny Indian who also? I do know a particularly <laughs> funny <laughs> Indian, a, a gentleman named Rajiv Satyal. He was on my podcast. Oh, um, was he? That's amazing. Rajiv and I are good friends. Man, um, now I have to stop you from talking to him. Um, but anyways, yeah, he was great on the podcast. So yeah, he's he was he's a very good uh, he's a good friend of mine now, and he was also a mentor of mine when I was at PNG. I met him when I was an intern before he kind of um, you know left PNG to do the full thing, and and he was someone that was also kind of doing this this cool thing with humor and also kind of taking that risk. I saw him leave PNG and find success, and I was like, okay, well if he can do it, maybe I can do it as well. That's awesome. Um, small world. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did you get started like an open mic and stuff, like more traditional stuff? Yeah. So like I said, I, I started with, with improv. My, you know, a friend of mine wanting to start an improv group and we, you know, would watch whose line is it anyway. We would pick the games that they did and start to practice it. And we did that for about a year where we did a handful of shows. I, I found that I really enjoyed it. I, I was a nervous wreck before performing and, um, wasn't, we weren't very good to start, but really loved the process. And about a year after we were doing that, uh, at Ohio state, there was a stand up comedy competition. And so a few of us in the improv group were like, okay, well, if we can be funny when we make this up, we've got to be able to be funny when you, we write it down and pre-plan it. And it turns out that for me, at least stand up is way harder than improv. But uh, my first stand-up show was for this 
uh, amateur comedy night competition at Ohio State uh, that we had a bunch of friends come to. And it was a very nice, supportive audience. My jokes were only so-so. Um, but I got a couple of laughs. And what was interesting about getting laughs there was in improv, I was surrounded by really funny people. So part of me in the back of my head was like, okay, maybe I'm not funny. Maybe just the people around me are so funny that I almost look like I can actually be funny. Um, and then stand up was the first time where it's like, okay, I got a laugh from a joke that I thought of and wrote down and, and performed. And so that was the initial thing of like, oh, okay, maybe this is something I can do. That's amazing. I love it. So what was it like writing the book? Like, what was the process of writing the book? Because it was, it's an amazing book. You guys, you should all read it. Okay. Um, <laughs> can you recommend us buy it on Amazon or your website? Uh, yeah. So Amazon's probably the easiest. It's available in, uh, in print and, uh, and Kindle, uh, for sure, for people to, to check out. And it was, the process for writing is interesting because some people were asked, you know, like, how long did it take to write? And in some ways, it took about six months. And in some ways, it took 10 years. Uh, right, because it is the culmination of what I learned over a period of time of doing, you know, more than 500 events with over 250 organizations. And so sitting down and writing it, you know, like all of the, the previous books that I've written, the thing that is most helpful is when I'm like, when I have a deadline and it's like, okay, every day I'm waking up and for the first, you know, half of the day, I'm just sitting and writing. And working on things. And also, I'm a big fan of, you know, from what we learn in the comedy world is the idea of iterating, right? We know that it, the first time we write a joke or an entire story, it's probably not going to stay that way all the way. You know, we're, it's not going to be perfect when we write it out. We get on stage, we test it, we see what works, we see what doesn't. And same thing with writing the book is I wanted, you know, I got multiple drafts out where it's like, let me write the entire, you know, what I think is going to be the entire book to have some spots where I'm going to fill in the blank. And then on the next iteration, I'll make it stronger. On the next iteration, I'll work on editing. On the next iteration, I'll work on adding more punchlines and humor to it. On the next iteration, I'll work on, uh, you know, revisiting the structure and all that. So it's very much an iterative approach, just like, you know, working on a, a bit. That's awesome. And um, like, so you, you've, you've gone to so many events and so many corporations, like, what, what is that like, like traveling so much and then giving speeches? Um, can you just tell us, lay people, what that kind of lifestyle is like? Uh, it's, I mean, it's certainly not for, for everyone, I don't think. From a, from a general kind of delivery standpoint, speaking to me is, and the reason why I, I love speaking so much and training so much is that it's basically stand-up with a message, yes. right? And we're seeing more and more stand-up comedians use their platform to share a little bit of insight, to go serious for a, a little bit of time. But it's still, you know, primarily focused on entertainment yes. where speaking can be more of, here's a, I can make you laugh about things about the corporate world, but then here are some tips or here are some strategies for handling that. So it's not just, we've laughed about it. Okay, now what do we do? Well, here's a three-step process or here, are, you know, five ways you can incorporate humor into your work or, you know, really with the intent of not only making people laugh, not only helping them learn, but helping them to make, you know, take action and, and make their work a little bit better. And so, you know, from that perspective, it's, it's incredibly enjoyable. I love the, the work. I love speaking with people. Um, and, you know, the introvert in me loves when I don't have to see any of those people later. Like, you know, the, the amount of travel and, and seeing things is both a pro and a con. Like, I, I've been to uh, 30 countries at this point, six continents. So seeing the world and sharing this message with a wide range of people is fantastic. 
but I also spend, you know, more than 50% of my time on the road away from family and friends. So I miss birthdays and celebrations and, uh, you know, other challenges that go along with it. So like I said, it's, it's not always for everyone, but it is a process that I really enjoy. And I do enjoy it more than, than the stand-up level of travel, right? I did a little bit of the, the traveling with stand-up where it was, okay, every weekend in a different city, um, smaller town or Midwestern town or Midside city or whatever. And had fun with that, but the entire weekend is where I'm very cool. If anyone, you know, kind of like the more traveling for a day event as opposed to traveling for an entire that's, weekend. That's such an interesting, like that's what celebrity status life for me. Um, so what types of like people in corporations, since corporations are people now, um, what, what do you enjoy working with? Uh, so I, I really, I mean, I, I have a, a soft place certainly for, you know, my fellow tech people, my fellow engineers, because of my background, my fellow INTJs of, you know, teaching introverts how to, to network. You know, it's not even networking is not something that I love to do, but it is something that is, you know, vital to be successful in the, the way that uh, we work today. So to be able to teach people, you know, the things that I've learned. And that's really what the program is about is taking what I've learned, you know, from 15 years of stand up and improv and 10 years of training it so that I can shortcut it for other people. Like, I think that there is uh, tremendous value in learning this skill of humor because it does make you more um, confident in your communication. It gives you uh, the ability to, to build better rapport with people, to feel uh, you know, more secure in your own thoughts and ideas. There's a lot of like personal benefits to it. And so I really enjoy the idea of, of sharing that with people who are kind of like me. And then I also really like working with more groups that you wouldn't necessarily think of like humor. Like if you think of companies that use humor, you probably think about Southwest and Zappos and maybe Google and that kind of thing, which is great. And I love working with those groups too. But I really like working with places like the UN or the FBI or the Red Cross, like places that you're like, wait, what, how does humor fit into that? Mm -hmm. And it's really about leveraging humor to, you know, share important messages or to manage the stress of difficult um, or challenging jobs. So I really like working with those types of groups. It's amazing. Um, because in your book, you really explain in detail, you list the numbers, which I really love, and you have a lot of like reports and stuff that quote famous people. So just, I guess, for the benefits of people listening. So like, what do you wish corporations knew about humor? Yeah, I think there's probably, you know, three kind of three things that immediately come to mind. So the first thing is that um, humor, I don't think that humor is a nice to have. I think we should be treating it as a must have, you know, mm -hmm. just like communication training, leadership training. I think people should be focused on having humor training. And the reason is because we so often be, we get training, we go to school for, we learn it in classes and all that kind of stuff. We learn how to do a job. We get on the job training on how to do a job, but we very rarely learn how to enjoy a job. And we spend, you know, 33.6% of our adult, alike, uh, adult um, awake life at work. That's, you know, about the average person will work about 90,000 hours in their lifetime. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for people to hate going into their jobs, to be dreading work on Monday or to be, you know, um, uh, hating Sunday night because you're planning the entire week ahead, like to me is just not a, a sustainable way of, of working or living. 
And so I wish more groups, more people and corporations knew that humor is this valuable, vital skill. Um, and then connected to that, the second thing would be that humor uh, is a skill that it can be learned. Because a lot of times people think like, oh, are you just naturally funny? Or, you know, I tell people that I do stand up and the reaction is like, oh, I could never do that. And it's like, well, it is. It's just a skill. And it, you know, it doesn't mean that's going to be natural for you right away. It doesn't mean that you're not going to, you know, mess up or fail a little bit when trying it. But it is certainly something that you can go out and try and practice and, and work on. And, uh, and then the last thing I would say that I wish corporations knew is that when I'm talking about humor, I'm talking more broad than comedy. Like it's very specific that the company uh, and the book is called Humor That Works, not Comedy That Works. And because humor is more broad than comedy, it includes comedy, it includes making people laugh, but it's also maybe something that's just a little bit silly or something that's just a little bit different that causes amusement as opposed to causing laughter. And that's a big thing that we're really focused on teaching people is that, you know, again, that's why the book is not about how to be funnier. Mm -hmm. It is, and certainly we can teach some aspects of that, but it's more about here's how you leverage this specific skill in specific situations to get specific results. That's awesome. I love that. I love those two definitions because you captured it pretty much perfectly. Um, so, okay. So let's take a different turn. Like what types of people should not work with you? <laughs> Um, that's a great question. I think uh, I would say people who um, uh, I'm trying to think of the, the best way to, to frame it. I, I like people who will take ownership of their work. If you, you know, if, if it's someone who is just like, you know, work is this way and my boss is terrible and I guess I'm just going to resign myself to always hating everything and not willing to take action, then, then we're not going to be successful, right? Because I am, maybe it's the INTJ in me, but I'm very much about, uh, you know, how do we create a plan? How do we create something? And it's not the idea that everything is going to be perfect, right? Some of what we say in our programs is it's not about doing what you love, but rather about loving what you do. Mm -hmm. It's about changing your frame of mind. And it's not going to say every aspect of your job is going to be amazing, but what are the things that we can do that we can control that we can make a little bit stronger, a little bit better. And so people who are like, no, I want the one stop magic solution where everything is fixed overnight and I don't have to do any work, um, which there are some people out there like that. Uh, it's not a good success because mine is more about, let's take a, a base understanding of where you're at, where you want to go and what actions we can take to, to get to that next level. I love it. So, okay. What would you do if you rule the world? Uh, if I ruled the world, uh, I would probably hire people smarter and more equipped better than me to, to rule the world for me. But uh, I think if, you know, the, the context that I think about this is I would, I would want every person, every student as they're growing up and getting their education, I would want everyone to, to take a programming class because I think that's how you learn <laughs> problem solving and <laughs> problem solving. Resource allocation, solutions, uh, and then everyone to also take an improv class because that's where you learn communication and uh, empathy and, and presence and, um, you know, uh, more active listening and all that. So that juxtaposition of, of programming class and improv class together. Would you sentence to death the kids who fail the programming class? Or Not at all. I mean, I think we should celebrate and embrace failure. Like failure is not... And, and not, I don't want people to get this twisted. I don't think, I don't agree with the like, we got to fail fast and fail as much as possible. I don't agree with that. Like, but I do believe that we should treat failure as just data. 
Mm -hmm. um, right. It's not commentary on your worth as a person. So if you fail a com you know, a, a programming class and that is just data about either the amount of effort that you put into that class or about maybe it's about how the class was taught or just what your, your focus is. Maybe you're just not passionate about it. So understanding to say, okay, what, when we have that failure, what can we learn from it? Wow, you're actually super awesome. <laughs> I have a way different uh, way, I guess, that I'll mm -hmm. you okay. <laughs> um, so what advice do you have for somebody who maybe is like really good at their job, but like they're not as funny as they could be? How would you advise them to make like a good first impression? Yeah, I would say, um, one is is to is to simply smile um, more in the workplace. So often we like if if we're in a bad mood or something like that, we um, we have a work face, right? Some people have um, you know uh, resting faces that don't look all that exciting. And the problem is that we as humans can't read emotion. Uh, we can't like read minds, and so all we have is kind of what we physically hear and or see. And so I know plenty of people who, you know, sometimes just a smile on someone's face can change your day, right? Someone smiling at you on the subway or the, you know, the person, the first person that you see in the office, how they look or how they respond can impact your mood, right? They've, they've done studies that show that moods ripple through, um, you know, social circles and in organizations. And, you know, you know, one person can cause a whole bunch of other people to either be more positive or more negative. So what are the small things that they can do to, to find ways to be a little bit more positive? And then the other thing is, um, is to, to try to find, you know, ways to make work more fun. Again, where it's less about making the work funny, but more about, okay, how can I add, you know, if I, if I have a commute in the, the morning and it's always stressing me out to the, you know, thinking about the, the day coming up, how can I listen to a great podcast like this one on my way into work so that I'm, you know, in a good mood to start the day? Or at the end of the day, what can I listen to to relieve some stress from the day and show up more present for my family or my friends when I get home? So I think, you know, trying to pick one thing to start as an actionable idea to, uh, you know, implement. And then from there you can build like it's, it's sim similar to that iterative approach. It's not about overhauling everything all at once and having a bunch of one liners to share with people right away and to always have the perfect kind of response and to, you know, do all of that, but more of start with saying small things and iterate from there. Well, you know, only this podcast is going to be good. The other episodes uh, suck. So <laughs> They're all learning experience. Well, Rajiv is on. The funny Indian was on. So hopefully that one's good. That's the second one. That's the second one. Okay. So that leads me to a great second. Is it okay if we go a little bit over? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Okay. So who's the funniest person besides the three of us? Besides the three of us? The funniest person. Um, There's so many incredibly uh, funny people. One of the funniest people that I know is my uncle. Um, he's one of those people that he could, you know, read the phone book to you and it would be hilarious just because of his performance and the way that he delivers stories and all that. I think he's, he's of course, incredibly funny. And then, you know, one of my favorite comedians is Eddie Izzard. Um, I think he is, uh, hysterical. I've really been enjoying Trevor, Trevor Noah lately. Uh, his balance of like, you know, smart kind of worldly and travel humor and, and related into different accents and different observations. And then his performance of it's very, very good. 
so I think they're they're great. And Ali Wong is is super funny. She's raunchier than most comedians that I typically uh, enjoy, but she's so very talented at what she does. That's awesome. So, um, what is like your writing? Um, it varies a little bit. It depends on what I'm writing for. So I do try to continually write. Uh, one way that I force myself to write is I try to post a one line or a pun to Twitter uh, and Facebook almost every single day. Like I love wordplay and observational humor and one liner. So I try to, you know, force myself to do at least one a day. Um, so sometimes that comes from, oh, what did I do today? What can I turn a, a joke into that? Sometimes it's like I love doing crossword puzzles. And so when I'm doing a crossword puzzle, like a word will maybe stand out. So I'll be like, oh, okay, can I can I make a pun or a joke based off of that um, uh, word or phrase? Uh, if I'm more, more often I'm writing material, say, for a speaking engagement or a new story that I want to work on or here's a concept that, you know, I want to write a blog post about, what I'll do is um, I will book uh, a stand-up show or an open mic or something and then force that basically forces me to write. And so when I'll write it, I, I write out the ideas first, kind of the, okay, what's the high-level concept? Um, and I think I think Sarah Silverman talked about doing this. It was some comedian talked about, um, and I found it very valuable, is the first time I will write out kind of a script, almost word for word of what I think I would maybe say. I'll write that out and then I'll iterate on it and add, go back and add punchlines and see where can I add an association or a comic triple or, um, you know, where can incongruity fall into play or some of these other, you know, devices that we as comedians can use um, to make it funnier. And then once I've written it out once, I'll then do stand up around it where the goal isn't to memorize it and to say it you know, word perfect every time. It's just one iteration of it. So I write it out once and then that almost kind of goes out the window and I just kind of constantly on stage or through conversation with people, I'm iterating on it and seeing where are the punchlines, what needs to get shorter, what needs to go away completely until, you know, other, other comedians have said, I don't know if a bit is fully ever completely finished. You just decide it's to the point where you want it to be and you do it until you get tired of it and move on to something else. Wow. Very thorough. So um, what are your next projects? Like, what are you working on next? Uh, so the main focus right now is uh, we have a, a, uh, I have a new keynote that I'm working on for 2020 that is really around um, effective communication. So, you know, the book, in the book with Humor That Works, it's, you know, talking about humor applied across five different skills of work, of which communication is one, but it's more of a general kind of how-to humor in the workplace. Um, right now, working on a keynote that's a very, more specific to communication. So what are groups like the Red Cross doing to, you know, when you have a, if you're communicating, say, something like disaster preparedness, um, and you're teaching people how they can survive a flood or a tornado or, you know, something that's going to be real and impact their lives, in cases like that, boredom has very serious consequences, um, right? That's what I learned from a, a friend of mine named Pablo who works at the Red Cross. And so how can we help people who have both the serious message or an important message leverage humor in a way to keep people's attention, to make sure that they understand what's going on, to help them remember ideas uh, and improve their understanding later. And so right now working on what are the different content pieces of that? What are the stories being told? What are the lessons for people to, to take away to try to make it as actionable as possible? Love it. Amazing. 
So how can we buy your book? How can we fly you out, pay you tons of money, and Yeah, so if people want to learn more, uh, they can go to uh, humorthatworks.com if they want to learn more about kind of humor and our approach to, to working on it in the workplace with some on kind of, you know, comedy as a, a focus as well. So if people are interested in that, then go to humorthatworks.com and there's a, you know, free newsletter, free uh, blog articles, information about the book, information about the online course we have, some coaching programs we have, workshops as well. If they're more specifically interested on, say, either the speaking side or me specifically, they can go to drewtarvin.com or find me on social media, Drew Tarvin, D-R-E-W-T-A-R-V as in Victor, I-N. Uh, and that's where they can find the, you know, puns and wordplay that I talked about. If they just want to follow that or if they have specific questions, they can also reach out to me there. Awesome. One of my best interviews ever. Thank you so much. Um, Absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me as a fellow INTJ. I think, you know, I love the list of questions. I love the, uh, the back and forth and the, the flow of it. So well done on the interview side. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I hope to have you on future shows. To come. Absolutely. Let's do it.